This audio file comes from the Libri Ideas Library at www.libri-ideas-library.org. The library contains over 1,000 lectures and discussions which explore questions about the reality and relevance of Christianity. We ask you to respect the copyright for this audio file which belongs to Libri Fellowship. The file is for personal use to share with friends, family and colleagues, but please do not publish the material in any format or post it on a website without seeking permission from Libri Fellowship. Please note that views expressed in the lecture and discussion time do not necessarily represent the views of Libri Fellowship. So do, uh, do come out for that if you're able um, next week. But tonight we're talking about waiting. Um, specifically the waiting that God requires of us. <clears throat> this is a topic that I have um, lectured on years and years ago. It feels like a long time ago. Um, and as I was sifting through some of this material, I realized this, this topic is never going to stop being relevant. Because there's never going to be a time in which nobody needs to wait for anything anymore. And uh, it doesn't seem to magically be getting easier either. <clears throat> but uh, by way of introduction, I just want to um, say that sometimes colloquial expressions of a culture are very revealing about what that culture values, the things it likes and the things it hates. So I'm just going to list a handful of random expressions that came to my mind, uh, idioms, and if you think really, really hard, I bet you can identify what they all have in common. Are we there yet? Is it only 3 p.m.? Time was creeping along. It was like watching paint dry. Time flies when you're having fun. This is taking forever. High-speed internet. We're going to be here till doomsday. Patience isn't my strong suit. I'm dying to go to Japan. I can't wait for next season of Stranger Things. Etc. Um, so the tough question is, what do all these expressions have in common? What do they indicate about the loves and hates of our culture? Um, any guesses? Anybody? <laughs> that, uh, that we experience waiting is difficult, is what they indicate. Uh, painful. It seems just it seems wrong to us. We don't often say, "I wish I could spend more time waiting." Uh, the more we stop and think about it, we realize that waiting is ubiquitous. It means it's everywhere. Life is full of waiting, different kinds of waiting, different uh, levels of waiting. And yet, more often than not, it, it is burdensome. It hurts. Not always. Um, with a topic that's as big as this topic, uh, very often, to get anywhere, you sort of have to speak in generalizations. And so there's, there'll be lots of exceptions to things that I say, and I, I expect that. That's fine. But generally speaking, human beings find waiting to be a burden. Burden. <coughs> Here's another example from a, from a different culture. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? 
How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Lift up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. That's Psalm 13. So obviously the agony of waiting is nothing new. Uh, is nothing new to the people of God. Uh, my basic outline tonight, it's always nice to give an outline. Um, and uh, I'll be sticking to it, I think. Um, First, first section, I just want to talk a little bit about why is waiting so hard. This is very just kind of sweeping observations. Uh, what is at the roots of our waiting angst? I call it waiting angst. The second section is what does the Bible have to say about waiting? And then thirdly, the last section is how can waiting be instructive? Is there anything good that comes out of waiting? So <clears throat> I'm going to start... Why is waiting so hard? And to start, I need to back up and just talk um, in a more general way about the discomfort with, that we have with time in general. Because our discomfort with waiting is an aspect of our discomfort with time. Uh, most people, in one way or another, have an uneasy relationship with time. Uh, the expression... Uh, Time is on my side. You know, the Rolling Stones song. It's a cool song. Um, but honestly, how often do we actually feel this way in an ordinary day? Time is just on my side today. Um, much of a contemporary person's day is spent trying to escape the present moment in time. In one way or another, trying to check out of it. Uh, we do this in a host of different ways. Sometimes by mentally leaping forward in a passive way, sort of dreaming about the future, someday oh, I'll finally, you know, whatever your future dream is, retire on a desert island or something. Um, or by fretting about the future. What if I run out of gas tomorrow and can't find a parking place and I'm late for work and, what, you know, <clears throat> our imaginations can, can fret as well as imagine good things in the future. Um, and there's nothing intrinsically bad about thinking about the future, obviously, but, but oftentimes we do it in a gratuitous way that, that is a way of just avoiding the present moment. We also check out of the present by mentally leaping backwards, so we dream about the past by indulging in nostalgia, which is kind of a... Um, nostalgia can sort of be a twisted way of, of romanticizing the past. Life was so easy and so fulfilling and rich and beautiful and everything made sense when I was younger relationships were so rich food tasted better um, everything just seemed right it's almost never true about the past actually but it's but it's something that nostalgia produces in us these kind of impressions um, or we can fret about the past by ruminating on regrets this is another unproductive way to, 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 pre- to spend the present moment. Why did I make that stupid comment to Sally back in fourth grade? Um, she probably remembers it really clearly and still hates me for it. Um, this is sort of, you know, obviously this is sort of a trivial example, but these are the kinds of things. 
sometimes more serious things. Um, so people don't only try to escape the present moment, but I think we also chafe against the ordinary passage of time, the rate at which time goes by. And this is getting closer to our topic of waiting. When was the last time you said, wow, time went by at exactly the right pace today? Um, it didn't drag. It didn't slip away. It was just perfect. Uh, much of the time, time either seems to pass too slowly or too quickly. So the expression time flies when you're having fun, that's, that's an expression of like it, time progresses really quickly. It feels like it goes back by really quickly when you're doing something you enjoy. You're not, you, it's another way of saying you lose track of, of time. You sort of exit a consciousness of time when you're, when you're doing something you love and enjoy. But the, um, the inverse of that is that uh, time drags or can drag terribly when you're not. It seems to pass slower than normal. Sometimes we feel like we're in a prison cell. Other times we feel like we're on a runaway train. Some days we wish like we could we could hit the accelerator. Some days we wish we could hit the brakes. So we're very seldom really at peace with the quantity of time that's given to us. I often feel like I don't have enough time to accomplish everything that needs to be done. Um, 24 hours seems like a pathetic amount of time when compared to the long list of things I know need to be done. Now, one way to cope with this is just to frantically rush around. Another way is to curl up in a ball and and panic. Um, uh, Anyway, there's lots of different ways of dealing or or living with time when we feel that we don't have enough of it. Other times we feel as if we have all the time in the world, which is never true, but uh, we procrastinate. I procrastinate. Um, that's another way of living within time. And this is some, sometimes called uh, being a time optimist. Well, you know, um, someone who overestimates the time they have for a task or underestimates the time that a task will take to accomplish. They're a time optimist. They always show up late because they thought they could do everything they needed to do in 10 minutes, and it's just not true. Um, so every time I stand up to give a lecture... It's the end result of a kind of skirmish between procrastination and rushing, usually. Uh, procrastination necessitates rushing later on. Anybody that's put off a term paper until the night before knows what this feels like. Uh, but both rushing and procrastination are unhealthy, broken ways of being in time. Sometimes they're, they're just, especially the rushing part, it's just sometimes just a necessary part of life. I'm not saying that this is... Uh, something we should transcend or can transcend always, but, but uh, they're not examples of, of being in time in a, in a good and healthy way. So um, these are just a few examples I wanted to give in order to demonstrate that our, our angsty attitudes towards waiting are really just one aspect of a broader discomfort with time. And uh, part of being finite and also sinful as a human being in a fallen world is feeling confined by time or at war with time in some way, at least some of the time in our lives. If, if you want more um, uh, in sort of more reflections on this topic, I recommend Joshua's lecture he gave back. Um, I forget when that was, but it's called Becoming Friends with Time, uh, which I believe is a reference to a book. Is a book title by the same title. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
nothing wrong. Nothing wrong with that. Um, but what about waiting is so particularly hard? Uh, one reason waiting is hard, um, one reason is internal to ourselves. Human beings have a fallen tendency to be impatient. It's really a matter of our of our impatience, our, which is a sinful tendency that we have. Uh, we want things to happen quickly, and when they don't, it makes us angry. It makes us uncomfortable. Uh, but waiting can also be hard because we live in a world in which things happen that shouldn't. Illness, depression, conflict, toil, loneliness, boredom. And we find ourselves waiting for relief, for comfort, for the resolution, for the end of these things. And we're waiting essentially for the pain to stop. So in these kind of experiences, we're still impatient and fallen people, which adds to the pain of the waiting. But the fallen situation, the illness, the conflict, etc., is not a direct result of our sin. It's something that we are just cast into, something that we, we didn't choose out of our control. It's external to ourselves. Uh, we simply live in a world in which suffering is real and sometimes lasts. There's a, there's a book I have not read, but the title was intriguing to me, and I think it, it's, uh, it's, about, it's about suffering and I think chronic illness or something, but it's called This Too Shall Last, as opposed to This Too Shall Pass. Um, sometimes the difficult situations we're in don't just go away quickly. So, uh, the discomfort we experience in waiting is not simple. That's what I'm trying to, to trying to say. Like many difficult things in life, we're faced with a mixture of our own fallenness and the fallenness of the world. The, the internal and the external brokenness. We're simultaneously victims and uh, perpetuators, if that's a word, of a problem. Right? We perpetuate a problem and we're also victims of a problem. Another layer of complexity uh, is that there are so many different kinds of waiting, and each is existentially different from all the others. Each feels unique. And so uh, you can think of many examples. I'm just going to list just a couple of different ways of waiting. When you try to think of any one thing to say about waiting, it's kind of impossible because you realize there's so many... It's everywhere in every aspect of life. There's so many different kinds of waiting. Uh, We wait for good things we know are coming. Like, I can't wait for Christmas. It seems like it's, it'll never come. You know, we all, many of us probably experience that as children, maybe still as adults. Um, can't wait for Christmas. So that's a good thing that you know is coming, right? Uh, we wait for good things we hope are coming, but for which we have no guarantee. Lord, help me get this job that I applied for. I need a job. I don't know if I'm going to get it. We wait for unpleasant but defined things to pass. Only three more days of being in quarantine. Then I can finally see my friends again. It's unpleasant, but it's defined. It has parameters. It has an end point. We wait for a dreaded future event to be over. I can't wait till this surgery that I scheduled is over and done with. I can start recovering and, and move on with my life. And then there is the vague, shapeless waiting for unknown amount of time and for an unknown outcome. Uh, Struggles with chronic illness. Long-term, unmet desires. Will I ever find a wife? Will I ever find a husband? Things like this. The pandemic, I think, has introduced to many of us this kind of waiting. This this sort of amorphous, 
indeterminate in duration and unknown in outcome. <laughs> we don't really know how long it's going to last. We don't really know what will signify the end of it exactly. People talk about people. I feel like are talking less and less about a return to normalcy <laughs> because I think people are realizing that no one really knows what that is anymore, and it's unlikely that there will be a return to. If normalcy is the way things were before the pandemic, then that's just not a thing anymore. I don't think um, the world has changed, and so it's not clear when and and even if there will be a return to the economic, the the sort of relational normalcy. And it impacts how we wait existentially. This this impacts how we wait when we don't know how long it's going to be and we don't know uh, even what we're waiting for. Makes it harder in a lot of ways. These are all um, fairly serious, weighty things, weighty outcomes. Weighty as in as in weight, not you. Sorry. I just realized that. I, was, I never would have written that in there if I had anticipated that. If you say no pun intended, then it makes it sound like you really tried to... Anyway, it's too, I hate... I hate. Uh, um, but there's also daily waiting for totally trivial things, and these also irritate and rankle us. Things that we'd be sort of ashamed to admit really got under our skin. You know, my Amazon package comes a day late. What the heck? What's the matter with them? Um... Ten years ago, can you imagine ordering something and have it come the next day? It's like just unheard of. And yet, if it comes a day late, I'm ready to break something. Um, there's construction on my way to the pharmacy, and I have to wait for the traffic cop to, to wave me by. Ugh. You know, where, where does that angst come from? <laughs> um, sometimes we're waiting. Actually, one of the one of the complexities of life in general is we're ma- waiting for multiple things all at once. We're waiting for. We're busy doing one thing while we're waiting for another. So it's not, it's not as if we move, and, you know, there's never a time in our life when only one thing is going on, right? Um, so from whence all the pain and annoyance? <clears throat> I think waiting is a particular way of experiencing the passage of time. This is, I'm just going to say some obvious things now. Um, it's a particular way of experiencing the passing of time in which we're anticipating something that has not yet come. It's time spent in expectation of some future event. And the waiting is the in-between time. It's the not-yet time. Uh, Some expectation has been planted in us. It hasn't been fulfilled yet. And the waiting is the time in the middle. Uh, It's often a time of ignorance and of, of lack. And often the sense of lack is the dominant emotion we feel as we wait. In other words... Uh, what we do not yet have seems to outweigh in importance all the things we already have. <laughs> it tends to loom large, the fact that we don't have the lack looms large. <clears throat> so our failure to wait well is sometimes, not always, but sometimes a result of really uh, oblivious ingratitude. Who cares about all the books on my shelf? It's the new book that hasn't arrived yet that I want, right? Uh... Another root of our frustration is entitlement. This is uh, related to ingratitude. I've done a number of lectures on entitlement as a as something that's really opposed to, to thankfulness. Um, one of the things that stands in the way of our being thankful to God as we should. A sense of being entitled. In other words, I have certain rights and privileges that are just due to me because I am me. 
it's not a rational thing. There's no reason why necessarily I deserve to get my way, but entitlement is, is, is the assumption that uh, I should get my way. Um, <clears throat> anyway, uh, we can feel entitled in many, many ways and to many, many things, but one very common uh, form of entitlement is the belief that my time is my own. <clears throat> really nice to believe that. Um, that the hours of the day really belong to me. Meaning I have the right to spend them however I want. And this is a, a tremendous setup for frustration and disillusionment because I would never choose to spend a chunk of my day unexpectedly waiting. But that stuff happens. And when it does happen, it will feel like my time has been stolen. It's not just a loss, it's, it's an injustice. Because I felt entitled, right? Uh, Lewis, C.S. Lewis talks about this in the Screwtape Letters. I'm not going to read the passage, but I encourage you to, to read the Screwtape Letters or reread the Screwtape Letters. There's a wonderful part about how Screwtape, one of, one of the um, Wormwood, who's the junior demon, his job is to try to encourage the, the patient, who's the human, to feel entitled about as many things as possible in life because the more things you feel entitled to, the more angry you're going to be about everything <laughs> because, because the universe just does not deliver on your expectations. And so, and he talks about his time and, and you know, and it's a total, uh, irrational joke to actually think that you own the time and the day. You don't make it, you don't produce it, you can't extend it, you can't shrink it, it comes to you as a gift. But screw tape isn't about teaching true things to the patient, he's about Convincing the patient to ignore the obvious, and so um, try to try to convince your patient to to feel entitled to to every minute of his day, so that whenever there's an interruption, and whenever he loses some time, it's perceived as injury. It's not just it's not just suffering; it's suffering as injury, and that's because you felt you had a right to something that's taken away. So anyway, that's just a word about entitlement to time, uh, time that was mine to use how I pleased has been taken. So there's a right that's been violated. It's not really a right, but that's how we feel when we're entitled. And this is really one of the main reasons why people get angry when they have to wait. <laughs> My time was mine. <clears throat> In addition, I think it's sort of, this is sort of a, a, a to me it's kind of a humorous observation, but... Uh, it's kind of commonly held wisdom that the more important person you are, the less you should have to wait for anything. The VIPs are invited to move to the front of the line or to skip the line altogether and come in the back door and sit down in the front row. Has anyone ever seen the movie Goodfellas? This is incredible extended scene where because it's a, it's a movie about mobsters, but, but there's a scene where you realize this guy has really become part of this underworld because he comes to the club and suddenly everyone's like, oh, oh, sir, this way. And there's money changing hands all the way and he just finds his way back through the kitchen and through the back room, boom, front and center, there's a seat safe for him. He doesn't have to wait. Um, that's for unimportant people. Right? So there's this assumption. If I'm really important, I shouldn't have to wait for anything. You kept me waiting 20 minutes. Do you know who I am? Anyone ever heard anyone say that? I've heard someone say that one. Uh, I had I had a um, I had a history teacher in high school who had something he would say. One one day I think he showed up late to class and we didn't know what to do and so we just went to study hall or we, or we just like we kind of just dispersed. 
He wasn't happy about this. And he lectured us the following day. It went something like this. If a teacher has a bachelor's degree, you wait 10 minutes. If a, pe- if a teacher has a master's degree, you wait 20 minutes. If a teacher has the letters PhD with their name, you wait until you die. <laughs> yeah. Now it was, it was, um, that was Dr. O'Brien. Uh, he's, he was sort of joking, but he was also sort of wasn't joking. You could tell there was, it was one of those ambiguous moments. <clears throat> so, um, our frustration in response to these kinds of trivial, I'm, I'm going back to sort of talking about trivial inconveniences, uh, our response to these kinds of things uh, is the best daily indicator of our lack of patience, or maybe it's the best indicator of how entitled we feel. I think you can almost say that the extent of my frustration when I have to wait through things correlates exactly to how entitled I felt to my time. So what are other reasons why waiting is so painful? I think we dread waiting because it is very often the setting or context in which our least favorite emotions come to the surface. So waiting, the word triggering gets used a lot these days. It's not my favorite word, but waiting tends to trigger certain emotions in us uh, like anxiety. Waiting often involves extended uncertainty with no new facts to ground us in reality. And this uh, period of not knowing what will happen, what it will look like, when it will take place, it can fuel our fears. Our imaginations can roll with it in a sort of untethered way, and we can envision all kinds of catastrophes um, and get more and more anxious. Boredom. Uh, Boredom is something that many of us experience when we have to wait for things. Because uh, waiting feels like empty space. Like I said, it's the in-between time. It's the time when what you really want hasn't yet come, but in the meantime, there's there's nothing to occupy us. There's nothing to entertain us. Uh, are people f- familiar with the, the uptick in the use of the word languishing in the past year? Has anyone, has anyone read articles about the word languishing? <laughs> it's, it's like I don't know if it's the word of the year or something. I don't know. People people have been talking about languishing online. Uh, the verb languish. It has enjoyed a lot of attention during the COVID pandemic. Um, it's often defined as a failure to flourish or succeed, but that doesn't really capture what people mean when they use it today. Uh, to languish is, it's not really to be fully depressed, but it's not to thrive either. You're not doing well either. It's just feeling flat um, and, and static and like you're in the doldrums. Best articulated uh, by using nonverbal noises. Um, I'm feeling sort of blah, meh, uh, even. Pff. It's kind of how you put languishing. That's that's languishing. Um, when you're languishing, you are not thriving, but you're also not doing quite bad enough to warrant serious complaint. It's just kind of that. Uh, so that's another reason why waiting waiting is hard. It's the context of languishing. Um, another reason uh, is our desire to be productive and the expectation that time is for being productive. 
And waiting makes us restless. So there's another reason why waiting is hard and frustrates us. And, and, and not everybody experiences each one of these, but I think there's, there's people for whom uh, this is a real frustration. Um, waiting feels like time wasted, right? I have, I have things I've got to do in my life. Uh, there's a million accomplishments I need to get to today. Uh, this is like hitting pause on my pr- productivity very often. Uh, my car breaks down when I was expecting to get five hours of work done this morning, and I'm just, whatever, you know, these kinds of things. When we wait, usually we have to come to the end of ourselves, and there's nothing to be done. This is one of the frustrations of waiting. Um, it's our inability to do anything when we feel like we should be doing something that's so hard. We say, all I can do is wait. Right? And this is deeply frustrating to only be able to wait. And it's particularly painful for you if you are an assertive, competent, goal-oriented kind of person. Someone who's used to working hard and taking initiative and making things happen. If you hold these things as being central to your identity, waiting will always feel like time when you're not yourself and you can't be yourself. I'm a, I'm a productive person. I get things done. I'm efficient. Uh, I'm, I'm the person people go to when they need something to get done. And yet I'm in this position when I really can't do anything to speed anything up or, or impact my situation. And if, that, if, if that's an important part of your identity, you feel like you're not even yourself. Um, Tish Harrison Warren, uh, wonderful Christian author, um, Anglican priest, um, she wrote a book called The Liturgy of the Ordinary a number of years ago. I'm actually, it's embarrassing, I'm going to read a quote of somebody else in her book. It's of a book I've never read before, but I found the quote to be very helpful and interesting. She's talking about this, why, why frustration is, or wh- why waiting is so frustrating to her. And it's in a chapter called Sitting in Traffic. <clears throat> She's quoting uh, Dorothy Bass from a book called Receiving the Day. And, and Bass writes this. We delude ourselves into believing that if we can just get everything done, if we can only tie up all the loose ends, if we can even once get ahead of the crush, we will prove our worth and establish ourselves in safety. Our problem with time is social, cultural, and economic, to be sure. But it is also a spiritual problem, one that runs right to the core of who we are as human beings. Indeed, these distortions drive us with the arms of a false theology. We come to believe that we, not God, are the masters of time. We come to believe that our worth must be proved by the way we spend our hours, and that our ultimate safety depends on our own good management. We come to believe that our worth must be proved by the way we spend our hours and that our ultimate safety depends on our own good management. Now, this, if this is your bad theology, if this is how we think of yourself and your role in the world, and, and uh, waiting is just torture, isn't it? Because this is a moment when you have no way of proving your worth at all. <laughs> uh, that, that, uh, that ability has been taken away from you. <clears throat> So, uh, another aspect of the problem, most of the things I've been mentioning are, are sort of in, t- in the internal, um, what uh, Dorothy Bass calls the, the sp- spiritual problem in ourselves, but we also live in a society that is not much help. Um, 
we live in a society that encourages impatience. So there's also external forces on us that just perpetuate a lot of the, a lot of our discomfort with waiting. Very little in the modern world helps us to wait well. Most of the messages I think we receive from our culture are not trying to help us wait. Rather, they are trying to convince us that speed and efficiency is the norm in all things and should be the norm in all things. And no one should have to wait. This is 2022. No one should have to wait. Um, There are many contributing factors, obviously. Two big ones, I think, uh, and these are topics that are so, you know, these are massive topics, but I'm just going to kind of tip my hat to them on the way by. Uh, Digital technology and advertising. Two forces that are part of everyday life. Um, The availability of digital technology Basically, uh, which includes any number of different things, uh, constant access to social media, minute-to-minute news coverage, even when there's no news to cover, just minute-to-minute, a constant barrage of inventing things that, that are supposedly important. Um, instant access to all information on the web, any random bit of trivia, online gaming, and the ability to stream episode after episode after episode after episode after episode. The idea of waiting... Unless you're actually up to date on a TV show and you have to wait for the next season or the next episode, the idea of waiting for an episode is just like a thing of the past. If you're you're watching something that's a little older anyway. Um, All of this builds up, I think, and hardens a certain expectation. It's like a callus that's built up. We're imbibing a particular view of normality, what's normal, and we're becoming allergic to slowness. Uh, You know... Ten years ago, or even two years ago, what was considered a fast computer or fast internet access would be almost torturous to us now. Oh, it's so slow. Um, this is what I mean by a build-up and an expectation and, a, um, and an allergy to, to things going slowly. Uh, it's what Andy Crouch in his book TechWise Family um, calls the expectation of easy everywhere. Now, easy everywhere is it's uh, it's hard to define, but it's it's basically sort of a uninterrupted access to what we want at any time. Usually as a result of of having a smartphone, but also enabled by other technologies, we expect to sort of glide and not and not trudge through daily life, um, just because of the accessibility of of information at any given moment. So. Uh, <clears throat> And this is one of the reasons why people today are so bad at waiting, because no matter where you are and what is happening, if you have a smartphone, you can feel like you're not really waiting. You don't really feel like you have to wait, not really, because you can fill up the time that would otherwise feel empty with with just a constant flow of distraction and entertainment. And it might not even be fun. You might not even really be enjoying yourself, but you're filling up the time anyway. Um, and for those of us who are truly addicted to our phones, we have no way of judging whether we're good at waiting or not until someone takes our phones away, right? Don't really know if we're good at waiting if we have a smartphone. <laughs> um, so if our impatience, if you compare our impatience to a fire that's burning, uh, advertising is a fan providing a constant flow of air to the flames, I think. Um, One of the ways that ads discourage waiting is by literally telling us, don't wait! 
I was I was online the other day looking at looking at ex- just just typical examples of ad slogans that have that are very and, and just strategies in advertising or whatever and just just the the uh, the, the mock urgency producing the the effect of urgency on the potential consumer. Contact us while supplies last. Only four left in stock. This is something that Amazon does. You know, if you're, if you're like, if you're looking at something, it always says how many are left in stock. Supposedly, you know, like, I don't even know if that's true or not. But like, oh, there's only three left in stock. Like, oh no. Um, so uh, advertisers are very, very good at activating your anxieties. Uh, that unless we jump at this bait, we'll miss something important and we'll regret it. So I need to buy that thing because there's only five left. Um, another strategy of advertisers is it's sort of in a different direction is to sort of stroke our sense of entitlement. Uh, think of all the ways in which ads, with the goal of convincing you to buy something, tell you that your problems could be solved instantly. Um, that until now you've been suffering the slow kind of plodding inconveniences of life, but needlessly. Think of the ways in which ads play on this idea of you deserving things. You work so hard. You deserve this. Um, so, whatever. There's just I'm, I'm not going to quote ad slogans to you. But um, so there's uh, there is an ad slogan. Very I think it's it's been used in so many. It's sort of famous. Been used in different ways. But I believe the first time it was used was when. The first credit cards were being marketed. People were trying to convince banks uh, and credit card companies were trying to convince us that you know credit having a credit card is a really good thing. The slogan is uh, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but the slogan is interesting. It's uh, taking the waiting out of wanting. In other words, it's saying in today's world, uh, who wants to wait until they have enough money to purchase what they want? Uh, working hard and saving up is boring. Uh, that's for lame people or something. I don't know. Uh, buy it now. You could have what you want now. Take the waiting out of the wanting. Worry about the money later. So uh, these are just a few examples, but I think it's safe to say that um, exposure to ads has reduced our tolerance for waiting. And being awash in digital technology has reduced our tolerance for waiting. I'm not saying that either of those things is intrinsically evil, uh, it's just that we need to be aware that this is the air we're breathing all the time and be aware of the impact it has on our ability to wait. <clears throat> so how in the world are we supposed to wait well, given all this, these terrible things that I've been talking about? <laughs> um, how do we wait well in this kind of world? Well, it pays to, to slow way down, take a deep breath, and... Reflect on what the eternal living God has to say. Uh, Tish Harrison Warren, some Harrison Warren, somewhere in this book, t- refers to God as the unhurried God. And I like that. What does the unhurried God have to say? <clears throat> so this is my second section. So we're going to just reflect on some biblical teaching. Uh, first point I want to make is that time is a creational reality. Again, we're backing way up here. Might as well start at the beginning. 
time is part of creation, and because it's part of creation, it's a good thing. Genesis 1 does not mention the creation of chronological time. It doesn't really mention the creation of time per se, but from verse 3 onwards, uh, which is the creation of light and the distinction between day and night, time is an assumed thing. Time is ticking somehow. Uh, even the fact that creation is described as taking place on consecutive days, one, two, three, regardless of how you interpret days, regardless of what you think about the age of the earth, it's not the issue, it does indicate that the passage of time is good and normal. It's a normal thing that God has ordained. Even God, who could create everything all at once, he created everything out of nothing, could have done it all at once. But he doesn't. He chooses to take time to do it. Uh, Presumably he creates time before he takes time to do it. Uh, He's at peace with it. Um, Verse 14 of Genesis 1 describes the creation of the heavenly bodies, the the stars, the sun and the moon, etc. And it goes so far as to say, let them be signs and seasons and for days and years. In other words, the, the physical stars and the sun and the moon are meant to be used by people to keep track of the passage of time, to quantify it in some way that they can understand, to measure it, break it down into units even. So human beings living in time is part of God's good design. And this has implications, I think, for, for eschatology, for, for what things will be like in the new heaven and the new earth. We're not dealing with that today, but... Um, but in any case, time is, is good and, and creational at the beginning. A, a more practical question, I think, is, uh, or, or just something that I think is important to realize, that waiting has always been a part of everyday life, and this is true even before the fall. I don't think, I don't think waiting was just like a post-fall reality. Um, God placed Adam and Eve in the garden to tend and to cultivate it. This is one of our purposes as human beings the garden wasn't wasn't right until there was someone there to tend and cultivate it and god commanded adam and eve to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth rule and subdue it um but there's nothing to suggest that any of this happened quickly necessarily uh adam and eve were in no danger of starving we know that but they still had to plant seeds and wait for them to grow um before the fall there was no pain in childbirth but they still had to wait for their babies to grow in the womb. Um, neither was human culture magicked into existence overnight. This idea of go out, be fruitful, multiply. So, you know, this is this is this massive human task um, to create culture, to create society, and uh, which involves long work. But just as the Creator took time to create, His image bearers were made to take time. To subcreate. So, in accomplishing their calling from God, I think Adam and Eve were not at war with the ordinary passage of time in the way that we are. Uh, but neither were they masters over it. Time, like every other aspect of creation, belongs to God and always has. And, and uh, it was something to which Adam and Eve had to submit in order to function at all. Adam and Eve's time was not their own any more than my time is my own. 
They didn't make it or keep it or control it or speed it up or slow it down. It came to them as a gift and as one of the parameters within which human life, work, and worship can take place. Um, I'm going to quote Tish Harrison Warren one more time here. Well, actually, a couple more times. Uh, Time is a gift from God, a means of worship. It's interesting to think of time as a means of worship. This is a, this is a, a way of honoring the fact that it, time belongs to God. How we spend our time, it's not, it's not. If we're honoring God, it's not really up to ourselves to just. We're not autonomous over our time. All the time we have is, is a means of worshiping God in one way or another. Are we doing it or are we not? <clears throat> so I think it's clear that whatever angst we experience in our relationship to time and waiting, it, it's a post-fall reality. With the fall, the human perception and experience of waiting changes. Like I said earlier, there is brokenness in the world around us, and there's brokenness in ourselves after the fall. And both are, like I said, contributors to how difficult we find waiting. But what about waiting after the fall? (laughs) Uh, The the place we actually find ourselves in now. Um, as Christians, God calls us to wait both corporately. I think there's two, there's two basic ways in which we wait. We can wait corporately as the people of God and also individually as people with personal stories. And and uh, any Christian at any given time is, is doing both. We, we wait corporately with the people of God and we wait as individuals with our own stories. Corporate and individual waiting are completely connected. They're not in different compartments. We, you know, um, I have a lecture coming up later this term on on um, the importance of being in a story, the importance of feeling like you're part of a story. And and one of the things that I just realized I should talk about is this. You know, our experience of the daily ordinariness of every day, uh, including the waiting. Part of feeling like we're part of the big story is, is realizing, oh no, this is actually my waiting is a way of participating in a much bigger kind of waiting, the, the, the waiting for much bigger things. Um, and uh, Tish Harrison Warren talks about this in a chapter on liturgical time. You know, we and when she's stuck in traffic waiting, the frustration of that, she the more she thinks and prays and is conscious of what she's doing, she's entering into liturgical time. She's entering into a way that the church has has um, uh, helped people to, to stay rooted. Anyway, um, that's a tangent. Um, so let's talk about just the corporate waiting first. I think waiting is, is central to the identity of the people of God. It's one of the things that the people of God are called to do together, to wait. So the Jews were awaiting people, and Christians are awaiting people. In the broadest sense, I think... Uh, we are awaiting people because God's plan of redemption is a slowly unfolding plan. God reveals himself and his intentions for the world in a step-by-step step sort of way. It's like a, a huge banner being unfurled in stages, slowly. Uh, and This means that uh, we know more about the love and character of God than the Jews entering into the promised land did. We know Jesus. We know Jesus Christ. We've been told about Jesus Christ. But the Jews entering the promised land knew more about God's power and faithfulness than their enslaved ancestors did. 
because they had seen his mighty deeds in the Exodus. Likewise, our spiritual descendants who live to see Christ come again will know and understand more than we do now. Um, God's revelation is an unfolding reality. It's not he doesn't he doesn't drop it all at once. Um, everything he tells people is true, but he doesn't tell anyone everything. <laughs> So the unfolding of the story is in his time according to his wisdom. And because people are small and we only live a very, very short while, people only live to see the particular chapter of redemption that they're born into. We, we live to see the chapter that we're in. So God initiates relationships, relationships with people all along the way. But he often makes promises in the Bible uh, to people... And they're promises that will not be fulfilled until long after those people are dead. But there's still promises made to those people. Why? <laughs> Think about it. Um, the Jews that entered the promised land with Joshua were the ones who received the gift that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Probably, I don't know, maybe 600 years before? It's hard to say. There's 400 years of slavery in Egypt, and these promises were made to Abraham. Um, if you think about Abraham, God leads him out under the night sky and tells him that his descendants will outnumber the stars and that through his family, God will bless the entire world. And it's an amazing, amazing promise. But does Abraham have any idea what this means exactly or what it will look like and when it will take place and how? <clears throat> I think we can say that the promise made to Abraham that, that his family will be a blessing to all the nations is only really fulfilled in the work of Jesus Christ. But I don't think Abraham understood that or what that would look like or mean. All Abraham knows is that if any of this is going to be true, he and Sarah better have a son soon and he better remain faithful to this God who's made this promise. <laughs> And so he waits for the fulfillment of this smaller promise of a son. And he waits. He also fails to wait at one point. The whole incident with Hagar, he, he, he's, he's kind of like, yeah, I'm not sure about this promise. It doesn't seem to be happening. Um, I better take matters into my own hands. So Abraham, even Abraham, the father of our faith, is, is, uh, is not a perfect waiter. In any case, Abraham is not given the whole picture but he is expected to act on, act on what he does know and to wait with confidence in the future fulfillment of God's promise of, of the land. Promised land. I'll, I will lead your family to a good land. <clears throat> so throughout the Old Testament, faith in God is inseparable from trust that he will fulfill his promises made to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you are a person of faith in the Old Testament, you trust that God will fulfill his promises that he made generations and generations before so to the Israelites this is really the essence of God's character that he will never ever ever violate the covenant he made with his people he will never ever go back on his promises even if his people repeatedly fall which they do uh, to go back on his promises would simply not be who he is Uh, it's against his very nature and one of the ways that the Old Testament expresses this is by the word hased, which is used in a lot of the Psalms. Um, it's translated sometimes steadfast love or enduring love. 
It literally means faithfulness to a covenant. It means, it means covenant faithfulness, and it appears over and over and over again as an attribute of God. His, his chesed is, uh, is who he is. Uh, he has bound himself to these people. So God's people must wait as God's long story unfolds one page at a time. And this is why waiting is something that the people of God are called to do. Um, Hebrews 11, it's an amazing uh, chapter, gives us a list of people who waited in faith without seeing the culmination of the promises that were made to them. I'm not going to read the chapter, but I'll just read sort of near the end. There's a list of people, starting with Abraham. Uh, and it says this in verse 13. These all died in faith, referring to this list of people, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country, that is, a heavenly one, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And then later on in the same chapter, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. It's talking about really the generation that, uh, in which Jesus Christ has come. So, um, Tish Harrison Warren uh, talks about this liturgical time that Christians enter into through the observance of the church calendar, and, and she makes the observation: it's it's not it's um, nothing revolutionary, but it's a good thing to remember that every season of celebration has a season of preparation. <laughs> you lead up to Christmas during Advent. You lead up to Easter during Lent. Every feast has a, has a, a season of preparation. So if you take Advent, um, and actually, you know, in observing the Christian calendar, if you're not from a very sort of a higher church liturgical tradition, it, it um, I, I didn't grow up in that kind of tradition, and, and the church calendar and all the ins and outs of it is is, is still sort of a, um, yeah, I, I, I love it and appreciate it, but I don't I don't understand it all. But in any case, I think it is one of the really helpful ways in which we remind ourselves that we're waiting corporately, <laughs> because we're doing this with the whole church, right, um, throughout the year. But if you take just Advent, um, leading up to Christmas every year, we attempt to enter into the mindset of the ancient Israelites as they waited for their Messiah. Um, we know something more about their Messiah, maybe, than they did uh, before the coming of Christ. Um but one of the reasons we do this is because we're we're still in this position of waiting for his second coming, and and we actually have quite a lot in common with the uh, with the Israelites waiting for their Messiah because we are waiting for our Messiah again to return and put things right. So we share in the kind of anticipation, the longing, uh, the sometimes the tiredness, the hope, the weakening of hope, the strengthening of hope of our spiritual ancestors. So, um, Christian people, I think, live in this in-between time. Uh, and again, like like uh, 
lots of in-between times. It's it's of unknown duration. <laughs> um, the phrase the, are people familiar with the phrase "already and not yet"? The, the "already and the not yet" it's a helpful way of describing the place in which all Christians find themselves. I think Christ has died for our sin and risen again, uh, securing the victory over sin and death. And yet, we're still in the midst of a battle, still going on. Um, the battle isn't over, even though the victory is assured. Uh, death and sin are already defeated, and and yet they're not yet robbed of their power. Death has lost its sting, but I'm still going to die. Um, this is just a couple aspects of what being in the already and the not yet is. We're living in light of what's happened already, anticipating what has not yet come. So we're still waiting for Christ's return, for the resurrection of the dead, for the new heaven and the new earth, for the righting of every wrong, for the drying of every tear. Honestly, sometimes I think these things cannot come too soon. I wish God would hurry up some days. Um, But uh, as hard as it is to wait for these big promises of God, we are not alone in the waiting. And this is the thing. The the corporate aspect of the waiting church is so important. The waiting is together. There's an entire people of God waiting together for the same things. Our anticipation of the resurrection and the renewed creation binds us together with all other believers who put their trust in the same Lord. We actually need the body of Christ for this reason, to remind us what it is we're waiting for. Sometimes we forget what we're waiting for. We get distracted and we zero in on other things. To be reminded, what are we waiting for? What is it that we're anticipating? Very, very important. In the meantime, uh, while waiting with the people of God, we're also waiting in countless different ways that are unique to our own stories. So that, that's the corporate waiting. There's also the waiting as individuals with our own stories. Uh, in fact, I think waiting is really the context in which we live out personal faith. Book of Hebrews, <coughs> uh, actually the very beginning of that chapter, chapter 11, says... Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In other words, if you have faith, you are truly convinced that the events you long for will really take place. And the things you cannot see really exist. This is what faith is. Um, So try to imagine what this faith might look like without waiting. It's like trying to imagine swimming without water. Uh, It's impossible. Waiting is the very location where faith lives. Uh, If everything we believed, everything we believed in as Christians was visible and available to us right now, uh, faith, hope, and trust would would all be unnecessary. They wouldn't even be, not even sure we'd understand what what they are. If everything we believe in was visible and available to us right now, it's like it's like being handed a um, someone walks up to you and hands you a yellow rose and you're holding it in your hand and then they say, "I want you close your eyes. I want you to imagine a yellow rose." And you would say, "I don't really have to imagine a yellow rose. I have got this one right here." Um, it's a little bit like what having faith without waiting would be. Like. It's, it, it's just sort of doesn't make sense. (laughs) 
faith, hope, and trust are called for because there are so many things that we do not see. There are so many things that we have not yet seen. We've been told about many things that we've not yet been shown. So we're waiting for what Paul refers to as seeing in full or seeing face to face. But in the meantime, everything is partial, viewed through a glass darkly. And you think virtually every word in the New Testament letters of encouragement, of exhortation, uh, is spoken to people who are waiting uh, for something. Uh, the early church, it seems it's from some of Paul's letters, the early church expected the coming of Christ to be quite imminent. Um, but there are also people who are often in the midst of persecution. All the exhortations to stand firm, hold fast, do not give up, have faith, persevere. Uh, these are all waiting exhortations. <laughs> like, hold on over time. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> what are just some ways? I'm just going to go through just a couple of, of, uh, a couple of rabbit trails, just ways in which waiting is required of us as Christians. I, I uh, promised you that we'd be talking about um, the waiting that God requires. Uh, what does that look like? Well, the most, one of the most obvious things is that we wait for our prayers to be answered. We pray, uh, we reach out and we speak to God, we make petitions to God, maybe for some really good thing, maybe for an end to something something difficult, and then we wait for Him to speak in some way, to respond to answer our prayer, whether to answer our prayer by giving us exactly what we asked for or in some other way, but we're still anticipating a response from the Lord. In a way, the decision to pray at all is a commitment to wait, because we pray and wait rather than simply rush on to make things happen in our own strength or according to our own wisdom. To pray and wait on God is to stop oneself from running after all the seemingly more expedient solutions in life. Usually, when we have a a, a struggle or a challenge ahead of us, and we sit down to pray, we can think of five or six more expedient things to do to solve our problem. Probably. Not always. Sometimes we're at, at, at our wit's end. But a lot of times, there's something we could run off and fuss about rather than praying. Right? Um... I'm guilty of that. Even for something very little and insignificant, I'd rather go off and fuss about than sit down and pray. But um, to pray and wait is to, in the eyes of the world, commit a great inefficiency. It might even look pathetic and passive to our neighbors that we would stop and pray and wait when we're faced with trouble. Um... The founding of Labrie was really the result of Francis and Edith Schaeffer's determination to not just do the Lord's work, but to do it in his way. There was a, a well-known uh, sermon that, that uh, I think it was a sermon, that Schaeffer preached called The Lord's Work in the Lord's Way. And he was dealing with this this kind of issue. And we're, we, we owe a lot to the Schaeffers um, in their in their faith, the way they lived out their faith before Labrie even came about, and in the years that Labrie was forming, to the Schaefers, it was not good enough to have a vision for the kingdom and then set out to achieve it by any means necessary. 
by employing the best consultants, uh, by consulting the most up-to-date strategies and, and statistics about uh, ministry growth or whatever. There's a lot of resources available to people in ministry today to go and and just crush it with with all these uh, human schemes. Um, in their view, this would have been to do the Lord's work in human strength. Uh, and in essence, it would have been a failure to wait on the Lord. One of the one of the reasons Labrie exists is that the Schaefers waited on the Lord through some very uncomfortable times. They didn't really know what was going to happen. To wait for him leading, uh, for him to open doors, for him to shut doors. They didn't want Labrie to be the product of them lighting their own torches. This is sort of a founding phrase in Labrie early, early on. It's a, it's a phrase out of Isaiah, what is this, you know, calling judgment on those that light their own way in life. Basically, they don't rely on God for, for guidance and admit that they're dependent on Him, but, but in a very self-deceived way, say, no, we got this. I got this plan. I got this strategy. I'll call you when I need you, God. Um, so Labrie really is what it is because the Schaefers didn't have a fleshed out vision for their ministry with a five year and a ten year plan. That's why Labrie became what it did. Because they didn't do that. Uh, it grew, we like to say organically. What that really means is it grew under the, the, the motion of the Holy Spirit. Over times of praying and waiting and watching and uncertainty and fear and a lot of unknowns. So even when Francis and Edith were keeping very, very busy, it was still with a readiness to respond to however God would lead. This is one of the things that's so impressive, I think, about the, the story of Labrie. Um, Francis Schaeffer sometimes called this active passivity. Another biblical call to wait is now this. This is just a, a total um, veering off on a on a very um, sudden tangent here. But I'm just giving you giving you a couple of examples of ways in which Christians are called to wait. What kind of waiting does God require of us? Waiting for God's vengeance. Romans 12 and in, in lots of other places. I think it's implicit in some of the things Jesus says about loving your enemies. It's not really up to you to give this person what they deserve. You don't even really know what they deserve. Uh, your job is to forgive them and to, and to leave room for the vengeance of God if there is, if that's necessary. Um, Romans 12, verse 19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So there's this notion that God is the only one who's truly holy. None of us are holy enough to actually wreak vengeance. It takes holiness for that to be an appropriate thing to do. And he's the judge. And so uh, the fact that there is a righteous judge who sees the world and all of its injustice and is pledged to bring justice, this is wonderful news for, for anyone who suffered injustice. It's wonderful news for sinners who are in Christ, actually, that there will be a reckoning to all the nonsense that we see. Uh, and the cruelty. But if we hold on to this hope of the, of the future reckoning, uh, it's a very powerful motivation to, to stay our own hands when we feel like wreaking vengeance on people. And this is one of the, the lies about some liberal theology. That if you believe in a God of judgment 
who's actually going to punish people, that's just going to, if you believe in him and you follow him, that's going to make you into a vengeful, violent person. It's actually the opposite. If you really believe there's a God of judgment and you leave room for that judgment, it's actually one of the few things that can keep you from trying to achieve judgment here and now. If you don't believe there's a God of judgment, then you better do something <laughs> yourself because what you see here and now is all there is, right? All the, judge, all the justice you're going to get is what you can achieve with your own sword. So, um, a belief in, a, in a, a God who judges is actually just a huge ballast sort of anchor that, that has kept many Christians for many years from actually, um, yes, uh, seeking revenge. There's more to it than that. I think an awareness of, of what Christ has done on your behalf is, is the other half of that story. But <clears throat> another kind of waiting, and this is obviously um, much more developed in the Old Testament than the New, but Sabbath. It's another another kind of waiting that God expects of us in some way. Uh, the Sabbath is this commitment to place our trust in God and not in our work and in our productivity. So we express our trust by stopping. We stop the hustle and the bustle. And we're reminded that the world does not end when we stop. If it doesn't end when we stop, then it must not have depended on us. Neither do we starve when we stop hustling for one day. So we get a vision of our dependence on God. Actually, God is the one who is providing for me. I can stop and I don't die. But to stop and wait when your neighbor is working overtime and not taking a Sabbath so that he can afford a trip to the Bahamas or an extension on his house or a new Tesla or whatever it is, your neighbor is maybe working 24-7 to stop and to trust God and take a Sabbath can be hard. It can be a challenge when, when everybody else seems to be working and getting ahead. But this is why Sabbath is about trust. It's about trust. But stepping back and saying, actually, no, I can, I can trust you, Lord. And actually, the institution of the Sabbath, when, when God first calls people out of, out of Egypt, I think just would have been incredibly good news to people that have, and whose ancestors have worked without, without a day of rest for 400 years. This is, this is the Lord of the universe saying, no, you can stop. I'm not going to drive you like slaves. <clears throat> Uh, you might conclude that waiting on the Lord means simply, and this, this is sort of a, another aspect here, simply waiting for Him to do things for you. And that, that's, the Bible talks a lot about waiting on the Lord, or waiting for the Lord. Um, and very often this is completely true. We wait, we're waiting for God to answer prayers. We're waiting for God to deliver us from some trouble. Uh, but actually this is... Uh, does not mean that all waiting is empty space. It is not just passivity. Um, some of the some of the most active Christians that I know are also the best waiters. Eugene Peterson makes an interesting observation in his book, "The uh, Long Obedience in the Same Direction." Um, it's, a, it's a book that walks through all the Psalms of Ascent. So um, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134. So those 15 Psalms. And he is uh, reflecting on Psalm 124, and he points out that waiting on the Lord, he doesn't say this, but this is my uh, paraphrase, waiting on the Lord could also be compared to waiting on a table. 
different use of the word waiting, but, but um, more accurately, like the waiting that a servant does to a master. Uh, I picture, in my mind, I picture like a, a royal attendant standing at attention behind the throne of a king. They're waiting, but it's a different sense of the word waiting, isn't it? They're waiting on the king's desires. <laughs> Psalm 123 says this, To you I, left, I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. So even as we wait for the the Lord to show us mercy, he's waiting for the Lord to do something. He wants an answer. He wants a response. But even as he's doing that, even as we do that, we are his servants, waiting at attention, which is uh, a picture of being alert, of being poised, of listening, of being prepared and willing to respond to whatever he commands. There's not a lot of action in this image, but it's still an active image. The person waiting on the king. They're not doing a lot, maybe, but they're, they're ready and they're attentive because they know they're a servant. <clears throat> so this prov- provides a helpful way of interpreting seasons of waiting for me, I think. Uh, gives us a different lens to look through from, the very, from an idea that waiting is just... Um, it's like being in a you know a, a windowless waiting room with no pictures and no magazines and nothing to do. It's just absolute passive, empty space. It's very seldom is waiting on the Lord like that. Uh, there's almost always something for us to do as servants of Him, waiting on Him, even if we're waiting for Him to to be our servant, which is what He's promised to be. Actually, <laughs> amazingly, um, even when nothing seems to be happening, our calling is to be servants and. Even if his only command is wait and listen, then that's how we serve him for the time. <clears throat> An interesting passage to go look at. I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not going to. I'm not going to go into it right now for the sake of time. But in Luke two, is a beautiful picture of what waiting with expectation is, and it's the passage about Simeon. I think it's uh, it's an epiphany passage, uh, but uh, Simeon. He, he's a person that the, the the personal waiting of his individual story and the the corporate waiting for the big fulfillment of God's promises come together in his one life, in his one story. Right? He's been told, "You will not die before you see the salvation of Israel." It's like you're going to be there, and so he knows. Presumably, he's an old man. It doesn't really say. You sort of assume he's an old man, and he knows. Well, I mean. Be any day now. <laughs> I'm like 95, or whatever. Uh, but it says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting. He's not somebody that's just waiting. He's in the temple. He's worshiping God. He's interacting with people. He is waiting with it with a you sense a deep and joyful anticipation. He's waiting for the consolation, the comfort of Israel. He's been told you're going to see it, and it's this it's this attitude of anticipation that I think enables him to recognize Jesus when he sees him comes up to the baby and, and says and, and then he holds he holds Jesus and says now you can release my my spirit you know, now I can die because you have both fulfilled your personal promise to me and you fulfilled your promise to the whole nation and the whole world through this child I said I wasn't going to talk about sin <laughs>
<clears throat> so what can we learn? This is my last section. What can we learn from waiting? Is there anything to be learned, or is it just uh, pure pointless frustration? <laughs> And uh, there's some short and easy answers to this question. Um, we learn the fruit of the Spirit uh, that Paul talks about in Galatians 5. Think about, think about what each of these things looks like in a person. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Uh, or, uh, one of the things we can learn through waiting is the unity that Paul talks about in Ephesians 4. He says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So like so much of these words are all about waiting well with each other, waiting in gentleness, waiting with humility, learning to bear with each other's problems and sins and idiosyncrasies and allowing them to bear with you. And it's through doing that that we maintain the unity of the spirit, the unity of, of um, believers in Christ. Uh, or, I'm just throwing a lot of stuff out there. Uh, another thing we could learn through waiting is the kind of toughness and grit that Paul refers to in Romans 5. He says this, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Think of all the mention, all, all of the mentions, the, the Holy Spirit is mentioned in all of these passages. I just noticed, of course, it's not that surprising, but the fruit of the Spirit, the unity of the Spirit, and then, um, yeah, God's love being poured into you through the Spirit. And this makes a lot of sense. When, God, uh, when, when Jesus... Um, promises the coming of the Holy Spirit. This is the one. This, this, is, this will be me with you as you wait. Um, I, can't even, I can't even begin to get into the passages I just read, but you get the idea that each of these passages names virtues, uh, important aspects of Christian character to which every one of us can um, aspire, but they're not easily one virtues. There's no no one of those virtues that are mentioned, whether it's the fruit of the Spirit or the other passages, are things that we can achieve uh, quickly. They're, they're virtues that are learned in the school of waiting. So we all want to grow in the ways that matter to God. We want to be more spiritually mature. Uh, but most of the time, and this, this is maybe me, I don't know. Hope, hopefully I'm not the only one. Well, hopefully I am the only one, actually. Uh, uh, most of the time, I want to grow in these kind of virtues without ever having to face the kind of experiences that would require those virtues or or form those virtues in me. So if you think of humility, 
uh, I want to be a humble follower of Christ, a more humble follower of Christ, because there's truthfulness and there's beauty in being humble. It's the truth and it's a beautiful thing, and I ad- admire it in other people. Uh, I sense that if I'm humble, I'll know God better and I'll serve others better. But I often find myself sort of hoping and often praying that God would spare me humiliating experiences. Um, that he would spare me those moments where my incompetence is revealed, particularly in front of other people. Uh, in short, that he would spare me the circumstances in which I would grow in humility. Uh, how in the world do I expect to become humble without experiences that demand humility? The problem is that those experiences aren't fun. That's, that's the problem, right? Um, I want the instant download. Of course, there's, there's no such thing as instant download when it comes to Christian character. <laughs> um, the same goes for patience. Why would I expect to grow in patience without ever being in situations which demand patience? Um, what about long-suffering and self-control and perseverance and even peace? These are all virtues that are specifically associated with waiting. Uh It's in learning how to wait well that I will grow in these virtues, but I have to wait. So after all this talk about the difficulty of waiting, I think, um, you know, and, and how uh, opposed to it we generally are in our hearts, we begin to see, I think, that seasons of waiting can be a gift from God. Uh, we may not recognize them as gifts, but uh, in ways we may not understand, God is giving us circumstances in which we will grow, like his son, with the help of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but this is slow growth. It is very long-haul growth. It's a lifetime of work. And there's no downloads. So uh, you may say, well, what if tomorrow I get stuck in traffic and I curse under my breath and, uh, and then I get discouraged at my inability to wait well? And I wonder, when am I going to learn how to roll with life's interruptions gracefully? I think we should all expect this. Uh, Times when we become impatient with our impatience. Why is it still? I'm just mad at myself for being mad about this. Uh, Even this awareness, sort of an awareness of how far we have to go, right? Even that is is part of our growth. Even that is God working on us. Uh, Even that is is uh, we're in the classroom. Even then, in those circumstances. Um, before we can learn patience and contentment I think we need to be shown our lack of it we need to have that exposed we need a light to shine on our lack of these things so the person who never needs to wait for anything does not learn patience because they never have an opportunity to witness their own impatience Um, so they will never perceive a problem actually they will eventually inevitable, but um, hypothetically. (laughs) It's easy to think of yourself as long-suffering if you've never had to suffer for long. I thought of myself as an unselfish person, uh, relatively unselfish, you know, know, pretty good, easygoing person, Uh, and I think for me, getting married was just like a huge uh, revelation to me that, 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 wait, I'm actually, I'm I'm fairly petty about a whole bunch of things I, I never thought I was. And it's basically because before getting married, I lived with a 
couple of other bachelors that were pretty much like me, and it's just you didn't really make many demands on each other. And and uh, when you live a streamlined life without a lot of demands made on you, you can think way better of yourself than is than is true. Um, because you, because your sense of entitlement's never being challenged, right? It's never being there's no pushback. Um, but uh, to have this kind of false image of yourself means that you've not really entered the classroom yet. You don't know there is a classroom. You don't know you need a classroom. You haven't begun uh, a long process of transformation. So all that is to say, that, that should encourage you the next time you, you get really uh, really impatient in some petty way and then you get angry at yourself for being impatient. Like, well, this is, you know, even those moments... Are God are opportunities to have something revealed to you, ways ways in which you need to grow revealed to you. It's much worse to be ignorant of it. <clears throat> and it's actually in in these moments when we're really frustrated at ourselves, uh, when we're aware of what we lack most strongly. Uh, in those moments of waiting badly that we actually see the source of our hope, the real source of our hope, right? Which is the grace of Christ, the, the, the patient one. And um, there's a lot to be said here, but I'll just say that Jesus is the one who rejects many, many, many expedient paths. Uh, he rejects many paths to quick success, to fame, to gratification. Starting at the beginning of his ministry in the, in the wilderness with the devil, and continuing throughout his life every day. He is rejecting expedient paths to quick success uh, for the sake of obedience to his Father, which takes him down the road to Calvary. Um, And so, in going to the cross, Jesus is both our example of steadfastness and he is the one who saves us because of our lack of steadfastness. He's our example of how it, what it is to be patient. He's the one that saves us because we fail in that very way. And uh, to reiterate something I said before, and then I'll close. Um, in all of this, we need to remember that we're plugged in with the people of God, waiting for, for the fulfillment of huge promises, cosmic promises to be fulfilled. In Romans 8, 22 to 25, Paul says this, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So it's hope for for what we do not see that enables us to wait with patience. Uh, That's where I'm going to end. And uh, for those of you who are new to Libri Lectures, what we like to do is just kind of throw it open to um, for questions, for discussion, for comments. 
and we'll go for a little while, and then eventually I will pull the plug. Um, if you need to to leave now, that's just fine. You don't have to um, worry about being impolite or anything like that. Feel free to, to duck out quietly. Are there any thoughts, things people would like to share? Anybody else have any Tish Harrison Warren quotes they want to share? Or Joshua? Uh, <laughs> Jonathan? Um, I don't know, this might be a strange question, but what do you know about the word like weight itself? Um, so, so just a little bit of context. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is Isaiah 40, 31. Mm-hmm. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Yeah. That's NIV. Mm-hmm. But when you read it in ESV, it says wait on the Lord. Mm-hmm. When you read it in NLT, it says trust in the Lord. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it seems like yeah. that word is kind of interchangeable with hope, trust. I, I don't know, I'm just kind of thinking. Anybody know their Hebrew enough to know what that word is? It, it is interesting to look at different translations to see where they where they diverge. Because that's often an indication of, of, of like an, an interpretive thing that's going on. Yeah. I kind of lean towards like NIV, those are open ones, but it's kind of cool to know that other translations all seem to be weight and trust. It seems like yeah. they're all kind of interchangeable. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's very likely a word that is, that um, if it means simply weight, it's probably a word that's used so often or, or used in a way that implies a lot of connotations. Like it's not just waiting, like I'm waiting for you know, the grass to grow, but waiting with expectation, waiting with hope, waiting with all the, you know. I don't, I don't actually know. I haven't really done um, much in the way of sort of word study of the word weight in, in the Bible, which is something that I, that I should do. Yeah. Anybody else have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Peter? Or, uh, I'm sorry, I, I didn't know there. Oh, before we go on, is any any other thoughts on that? Um, Just a side comment, in Spanish, the two words are the same term. For, for the two, to wait, wait, to wait and to hope. Okay, yeah. yeah, interesting. Yeah, maybe maybe the problem that you're experiencing is the, the problem with English, <laughs> rather than with Hebrew. <laughs> the fact that, that that there's such a thing as waiting that doesn't involve hoping is <laughs> it maybe says something. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I, I think in the Psalms is the same dual translation: trust and wait. Yeah, uh, in many Psalms. Okay. Hmm. I think it's Emmet. Emmet? The, the Hebrew word. Okay. I can't that me of if it means wait, it's certainly a word that implies hoping. Yeah, and trusting. Yeah, mm-hmm. trusting, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, Peter? Uh, one of the thoughts that was recurring as you were talking is. Uh, is the, the, the scriptural uh, emphasis on waiting uh, grew up, it seems, in an agrarian society, mm-hmm. and uh, and how that probably influenced so many of the images yeah. and the uh, and, and just the way waiting is, is considered because uh, an agrarian way of life is premised on yeah. To, a certain pace and a regularity of things. Yeah. And uh, whereas today, 
so much of our the activity is broken down into these to almost arbitrary, uh, yeah. capricious uh, units. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, I think uh, we who are not farmers who feel removed from the land uh, can have a hard time sort yeah. of entering into that kind of mindset. Yeah. It's very true. Yeah, to be to be reminded that every, you know, virtually everything we we read in the in the Bible is coming out of that that kind of society, agrarian society, which is just it's it's uh, it's a way of better understanding a, a lot of the, the metaphors that Jesus uses and the imagery that Jesus uses, uh, which would have been commonplace to people, but also that yeah, I mean. Who knows how people at the time of, of Jesus felt about their time and their you know it, it's it's um, I'm sure there were there were first century ways of being impatient too yeah. right um, it's more maybe a matter of, of uh, um, what am I trying to say this, I feel like the same human problem remains. Just our standards of what is quick and slow has, has radically changed, and like you said, become independent of any natural rhythms. You know, the idea being even just the simple rhythm of day and night, and like you get up with the sun and you work all day, and when the sun goes down, you go to bed because you're going to get up with the sun again. <laughs> you know, that's just completely irrelevant to most of us. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so it's actually it's a good re- it's a good reason to garden. season, it, it, the fruit has to ripen. Right. It's not just like, oh, I, I mean, on the apple trees they have here, I can see what, I can see the apples right after the flower falls off, but it's this big. Yeah, exactly. You know? so, <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it, it, it's yeah. about recognizing that our, the fruit of the Spirit, these mm-hmm. qualities you just said, love, joy, mm-hmm. peace, Discouraging at first, but then maybe encouraging. <laughs> Wait a second, what? Maybe it is a problem with English. There's something beautiful about the idea of waiting with hope. Um, and it's all twined in one thing. Right. Wait. Yeah. All good things come to be who waits. Yeah. Uh, that idea, and you wait on the Lord mm-hmm. because you're hoping. In the yep. Lord. Yeah. And you're waiting for something good. Yeah. Exactly. It's yeah. It's not so the the idea of fuming 
the way that the lights change is not the same mm. thing. Yeah. It's kind of a blank waiting. It's just, it's just, it's like a blank technical idea of waiting. It's just like spending time before something happens, but it's not, it's not necessarily with any, uh, emotional or spiritual connection to the thing coming, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. I wish I knew more about the formation of the English language and why those, why these are different words. As opposed to, it's just interesting to me that in Spanish, the wait and hope is the same word. It's really fascinating. Any other thoughts? seems a little gratuitous to me. It, it, seem, it seems to me like there's other ways that actually benefit other people that, that, that yeah. may be, you know, spend time with, with children True. Yeah. Who, just, who just would love you to spend time with them, but it does not accomplish anything in your estimation. Um, spend, yeah, so, so much of it is um, things that are so worth doing are not efficient or fast. I mean, learn, learn some craft. Learn how to make something that you otherwise would buy that takes a ridiculous amount of time. May, you may spend more money making it than you would buying it. And yet, like, you, you learn something. You learn you learn patience and you learn a skill. You learn to uh, gardening, like Marty said. It's a good, it's, you know, it's it's, it's um, whenever you eat something from the grocery store, someone had to wait for it to grow. We just didn't see it, you know. Um, and so, uh, to ex- intentionally expose yourself to something good. I mean, maybe way to go into the longest line is fine. <laughs> it's fine. It seems to be a little, gr- a little arbitrary. <laughs> well, but it, it's something that would, is a, a likelihood sure. in, in our daily lives. Yeah. I actually don't, I don't actually don't have to intentionally do that, because whatever line I, I choose, even if it's the shortest one, it automatically, it just stops. It comes to a total halt. I'm like, oh, okay, well, this is the longest one. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> we had a good, a good friend when we were living in London, a doctor, yeah. who played reporter, and he always had his reporter in his car, so if you mm. got in the That's not you. That's not you, is it, Elliot? That's a oh yeah, Philip. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned a few times uh, waiting being related to patience and growing mm-hmm. your mm-hmm. patience. Uh, I guess it raises to me to what end? Mm-hmm. 
uh, we're more patient, being prepared for more patient. And can you speak about that a little bit? Because mm-hmm. I, you know, I can wait a lot and get patient, but mm-hmm. for the sake of being able to wait better, more. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, I think the people around us will notice that we're growing in patience and appreciate it. I mean, mean, the patience benefits. It's not just an arbitrary thing like we're accumulating marbles or something. It's like to grow in patience means we'll be able to cope gracefully with so many of life's frustrations and not lash out at at people and not uh, punch the wall and, and you know, any number of different things. And so uh, we're becoming more like Christ. Easier to live with. Easier to live with, yeah. Impatient people are, are tough to live with. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it, it's... Um, yeah, to, to me, it's, it's a... Uh, the more we grow, the more we grow in patience, the more we'll benefit in all kinds of ways. Uh, and the more the people around us will benefit. Um, and the waiting is... The waiting is inevitable so it's going to happen one way or the other and I think we need to, to try to make decisions to, to grow in patience so that we don't just become bitter and angry <laughs> and a total nuisance it makes I don't know. It more at peace with reality yeah I mean more inner peace with reality yeah. because reality demands demands it and, and I, part of what I was trying to get at with entitlement is that sometimes our, our, our impatience is just a failure to connect with reality. This shouldn't happen! It's like, well, it, it does. <laughs> and it will. So regardless of how you feel about it, it's, you know, yeah. yeah. Esther, do you have some? Mm-hmm. Um, I've just been reading like the life of David, and I kind of wondered. Struck me this time through that it's like part of why David was called a man after God's own heart. Maybe it was partly because he didn't. He wasn't swift to take revenge yeah. like on Saul, and mm-hmm. he had lots of opportunities to take care of his enemies, and he wasn't quick mm-hmm. to do that. And mm-hmm. I just recognized that was that was that a way that he was becoming like the God he was trying to be like. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, and that's a huge thing. I mean, one of the reasons to try to grow in patience is because we've been shown patience. patience. <laughs> and it's similar to, to how we would talk about grace or forgiveness. Like, reason why we're supposed to forgive other people is because we've been shown forgiveness. Uh, we've been shown... Um, God hasn't repaid us according to what we deserve. And so... That kind of a gift is not just a gift we're t- we're, that we receive arbitrarily and move on. It's a gift that's supposed to transform us into that sort of person <laughs> um, who behaves likewise. Yeah, I, I think we talked about this with Joshua's lecture, mm-hmm. whatever that was. But mm-hmm. it struck me, and what you said, the way you started out tonight as well, is that of all aspects of creation, we can interact with a lot of them and change them. Mm-hmm. Time, we're absolutely stuck. <laughs> you can't do anything to yeah. it. It's just absolutely yeah. a train that you can't yeah. stop. <laughs> I mean, you pointed out, yeah. but that's 
it's sort of unique within creation. And yeah. All sorts of aspects of creation you can tinker with. Impact, yeah. And, and you're being the image of God and dominion and mm. so You can't do anything. Yeah. And, all we can do is work on our attitudes towards yeah. it. That's all we can do. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I think by, because of that, it's an offense yeah. to sin. Yeah. It's an offense to our ability to, to be like God yeah. and, and, and run the show. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's maybe behind some of our yeah. frustration with it. But, but, it's, but when you think about it, I mean, it's, it's, hmm. sometimes we're given situations where the immovability of time is just screams at us. Yeah. And that's uh, it, always true. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Unless somebody else has the thought or question, I think we wasn't going to make this joke, but you've waited long enough. You can go. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for that conversation. Thank you.